0: First of all, I'd like to personally invite everybody to the shack, the world-famous um, cave of Purim. and it's a—it's uh, always an annual ritual that Talmidim and Yeshiva come, and people at large, the people on Torah anytime, are also, I think, invited uh, to come. Don't bring weapons, though. And... Um, my address, you know, and it should start right after Mincha, so get there, and until your Abayim Suda, it would be a privilege and an honor to have you, and I think you will uh, very much enjoy the uh The Gemar Megillah, and Afyotesam in Aleph, asks, Su Mehechan Adam HaMegillah from where does a person have to lay in the Megillah of Yetzir Baidei Chayvasa in order to be Yitzhi, your Chayv of hearing Mikra Megillah and there's a Machlekes in the Mishnah Reb Meir says Kula you have to hear the entire Megillah from beginning to end if you didn't hear the entire Megillah it's L'Yikuba you're not Yetzir Reb Yehuda Me'ish Yehudi Yehuda befittingly it's easy to remember, Rabbi Yehuda holds that you should start from Ish Yehudi. <coughs> the Gemara adds another shita that you should say it from Balei um, Lahu. And the Gemara explains what is the site of their machlekes. where are they getting these from? Where are they getting these random opinions of how much of the Megillah needs to be lain in order to be Yetzirah, your mitzvah? And the Gemara says, very simply, there's a pasuk in the Megillah when describing what the mitzvah of Megillah is, that it says, V'atikhtayv <laughs> <that> <says>, Esther HaMalka Mardachai Yehudiyas <laughs> Mardachai and Esther, when they authored the Megillah with Anshikines HaGadayla, they wrote as Ta'kef, the entire bang of the Megillah, the entire story, the strength, the power behind the storyline, and each of these Tana'im have a different opinion of what the Ta'kef of the Megillah is. The one that says Kula, you have to start all the way from the beginning because the Ta'kef of the Megillah is Ta'kef B'shalach At the beginning of the Megillah, we de- we describe. The greatness, the power of Ahasuerus, how he was Malach, the keeper. he was Malach, universally 127 nations he was Malach over. That's the power of Ahasuerus. You have to lane it from the beginning. The shita that holds from Yish Yehudi, the greatness of Mardachai, the storyline, the biography of Mardachai as it were, begins in earnest from Yish that's the main part of the Megillah that you have to start leaning from. The one that says, Achad Varmayela, that's Shal Haman, when Haman started having his ascent. And the Manda Amar that says, Me Ahu, Teikvashel Nes. The Teikv of the Nes, the main part of the miracle began from Balayla that night that Achashveresh could not sleep. Haloch al What do we paskin? We paskin aloha mysah like the Mandama that says that you have to read kula. The entire Megillah needs to be read. This is brought by the Mechaber and Shokanarch, Arachayim Sadi, Sifgimel, Kula. And the bura says, kuva, if you don't lay the entire Megillah, it's li If the Balkari misses even a single word that's already not Yitzh, you have to make sure that the Balkari reads every word and that you hear every word. And if you're not hearing every single word of the Megillah, then you're not Yaitse you're of Mikra Megillah. The title of today's Shmuz is the whole Megillah. Now, the whole Megillah, I don't know if anyone in this room is familiar with that expression, but even in the English vernacular, if you look up in one of these dictionaries that have slang in it, there is a, it's a known piskum. it's a known expression that the whole Megillah, even Americans know that expression, the Gansan Megillah, in Yiddish it's called, the whole Megillah, basically the way that expression is used, in case you're not familiar, is that let's say, you know, somebody sends you an email and it has like a whole, you know, a lot of pratim about a certain thing, like all the fine print, and all of the, a whole complex storyline, that would be called, I have to read the whole Megillah now, something like that, that's the basic way that it's used, the whole Megillah, a ganze Megillah in Yiddish, a whole Megillah, and this, I think, comes from this halacha that you have to really read the whole Megillah. The whole Megillah is what's required of a yid to hear on Purim. If you hear just a part of the Megillah, it's not the Megillah. If you only start from Ishiuhudi or from Machar it's a nice story. But as far as being yaitze the mitzvah of Kriyash HaMegillah, you have fallen very short in terms of the Kiyam HaMitzvah. You need to read the entirety of the Megillah in order to be yaitze. I read recently an interesting article in a Jewish magazine that a certain person that was not from, a young man not from he ended up becoming very wealthy, he started a, a very successful business, a multi-millionaire today, but he was talking about his particular story of how he became from. He was invited to a Purim party that was given by a Kira of institution, a Kira of organization I should say. They invited whoever wants to come, young professionals, to a Kira party, to a Magilla party, and you're going to hear the Megillah, and then you're going to go and have food and celebrate Purim. So, this person goes to the party, and he enters in the middle of the Megillah reading. And he sits down, and he listens to whatever is remaining of it, and, you know, the rabbi goes over to him afterwards, and, and says, Sham Aleichem to him, and thanks him for coming. And he says, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I came a little late to your reading. Next year, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to try to come on time next year, or tomorrow, tomorrow morning. So he said, the rabbi says, that's very nice, but you should know that you're not fulfilling your obligation of hearing the Megillah because you you came late, and if you miss even a word of the Megillah, you're not Yaitzay. You came halfway through. He says, let's go to my office and I will personally read for you now the entire Megillah. I don't know if he said yes or no to that offer, but he was so impressed that this busy rabbi that had maybe hundreds of people that came to this party, and he had to be busy with all of them, that he would make it his business to take him aside for 20 minutes, half an hour, however long it takes to read the Megillah, and read it over for him, so that he is Yitzhi, his personal mitzvah, this person that's not even from a yid is willing to go into our private room and read it again for somebody else it made a very big impression on him like that I count, I'm important he said the next day he came back again to the Megillah reading in the morning and again he came late and somebody came over to him again another person, not that rabbi and again said, you know, I noticed that you came in late to the Megillah reading. You're not fulfilling your obligation. Let me read it for you again. Purim is the busiest day of the year. You have Shalachmanes, and you have Matanesav Yainim, and you have a Suda, and you have to run around delivering Shalachmanes, and you have all of the things, the Yeshivas Mardukhayat Sahib. There's a lot to do on Purim. But people take of their busy time to be mighty another year to read the entirety of the Megillah. To him, that was so impressive that that was like the first step on his journey to becoming a Baal Why is it that there is this obligation when it comes to Mikra Megillah to hear the entirety of the Megillah? What's the Musar Haskell? And I think that the answer to that question, why we pass in this way, why a person has to hear the entire Megillah, and if you don't, then you're simply not yates in the mitzvah, is, I think, an answer that everybody would tell me. And that is that when it comes to Mikra Megillah, and there's such a complex storyline, and there's so many plot twists, and there's so many events that are unfolding one step at a time, that if you miss one aspect of that Micro Megillah, it's not that, well, I heard three quarters of the Megillah. It's like you heard nothing of the Megillah because you missed the entire big picture of what's going on from a bird's eye view, which you only really get by hearing the entire Megillah. To use a very bad analogy, it's like coming in late to a movie. Come into a movie, let's say it's a mystery movie, or it's a suspense, or it's a murder, or it's whatever, some movie, and you come in 15 minutes late, you miss the beginning. That, the beginning is the whole thing. The end is the whole thing. The middle is the whole thing. Well, you're going to say, well, I, I watched the movie, you didn't watch the movie, you watched you didn't know anything. The whole thing is, if you see the entire movie from the beginning to the end, then you could say to people, I watched the movie. But if a person just sees a part of it, you miss the whole story. How were you able to appreciate what was going on in the storyline if you missed part of it? That's nothing. And this is what exactly happens every year by Micra Megillah. You have to hear the entirety of the Megillah from beginning to end because if you're missing even one small word of the Megillah, then you are not say, your understanding of the Ashkacha Pratias, of how everything was manipulated by Akhirish Parchal, was orchestrated by Akhirish Parchal, one frame at a time, until the Neis was complete. The Neis that we celebrate has been fully savored and experienced. Only when you have the understanding of the entire broad spectrum of events from the beginning of the Megillah to the end of the Megillah, and every single scene in between. Let me just spell that out for you a little bit more practically. How this unfolds, because sometimes it's difficult. Now, I wrote a safe on Megillus Esther, and it's so hard for me sometimes to even remember all the moving pieces, and all the players, and how they interlock into the Megillus Esther to make it such a a ...fascinating storyline... ...and it's such a Ashkacha ...so let's just... ...if we can take a few minutes... ...just to Chazer... ...the entire story of the Megillah... ...the, the, the highlights at least... You ...can't Chaz the whole Megillah... In a, ...in a Shmuz... ...there's so... ...it could take a, a year... ...to really get into... ...every single one of the Chazalin... ...and the gemaras ...and the Medrashim... ...and all that goes into... ...the Rishinim, the Achreinim... ...and how every single prat... ...every word... ...every letter of the Megillah... ...is so significant but at least let's get a basic glimpse of what's going on in the Megillah. At the beginning of the Megillah, we have a party of Ahasuerus. At the party of Ahasuerus, celebrating his being Melech, he invites the Jews, and Vashti is called in, and she's invited to come and to show her beauty and we know that that didn't go over too well. She didn't want to because she had sarash, she had a zonav, she had a tail. And eventually it was Paskin that she should be killed. So Vashti was killed. That's the beginning of the Megillah. Okay, that seems like an insignificant event for us. But it became very significant because when Vashti was killed, the melech needed a new queen. And so he... Miraculously, after making a beauty contest for the entire world to come and try, to, try out for who should be the next queen, who else should be queen but Esther Amalko, an orphan and I have him in a aim, the most unlikely of candidates to become queen, she's able to inspire to to make him see in her greatness, and she becomes queen. Mordechai, her uncle, was there when Big Son and Seresh, two officers of the king, two servants of the king, were plotting against the king. Now why were they plotting to kill the king? Because of Esther. Esther was the Malka, and she was beloved by Ahashver so much that day and night they never slept. They were schmoozing, they were doing whatever day and night they were mamish so into each other that these two servants had to constantly bring them refreshments and water. And they say to each other, you know, from the time that this queen came into, into the palace, we never get a chance to sleep anymore, it's ridiculous. We used to be able to get a nice night's sleep and now it's all gone because of Esther. So they decide to bump off Achashveresh. Mordecai understands the language that they're speaking because he's from Sanhedrin, he understands all seventy languages. He goes and tells the king, and the king kills Big Son and Sarish. You see the way everything is interplaying? Things that seem random, random events are interlocking if you see it in the entirety. Then Mordecai was never rewarded for saving the king's life. That's very unusual. You would think that if a person does something so great for the king, you would immediately be made a hero, a ticker tape parade. You would get... Ma- nothing was done to Mordechai. It's also a miracle. Strange. The king just forgets about Mardachai temporarily. And then... Mardachai, is HaKaidesh, is told that there's this plot that Haman came up with and told Ahasuer she was signed onto this plot to kill the Jews. Mordechai sends a message through Daniel HaTach to Esther telling her about what's going on. You have to go and do something about it for your people. That night, the king could not sleep. And he says, bring me the Sefer the HaZechreinus. Bring me the book of Chronicles of what happened in my Melucha. Because that day, Esther asked the king, strangely, to invite Haman to a party that she was making. Just her, the king, and, and, and Haman. Achashverosh was very jealous. He says, what, what does she have with Haman? And if they're planning on killing me, why is nobody telling me about that? So he brings a sefer as a freinus, and he says, maybe there was something that I, that once tried to save my life, there was a person in the malucha that I never repaid, and people know that, and therefore that's why nobody's coming forward to tell me about another plot against my life. And sure enough, it was told to Achashveresh that Marduchai saved your life, and you never gave him anything in return. At that point in time, Who walks into the palace but Haman in the middle of the night? And Haman was having delusional thoughts that he was so great and the king loved him so much and that's why he was invited to this exclusive party. And so when the king asked him, what should I do to somebody that did so much great for me, did so much good for me, what what would you do to such a person? So Haman thought he was talking about himself. He must be planning a big thing for me. So he says, Yeah, you're going to take the, the horse and you're going to put the crown on this person's head, and there's going to be somebody that's, and he's going to wear the robes that's, got, that's going to be dressed on him by somebody, and that person is going to lead him through the streets on the horse, saying, Kacha Yasalayish, Asher Melachavitz Bikarai. Haman never in his wildest dreams thought that he was giving a script that he would have to do for his arch enemy Mardukhai who never bowed down to him, and he hated. And so the king said, <laughs> it's a great idea. Take the Lubush and the and do that to Mardechai that's sitting Bishara Hayer, al Don't even leave out anything from what you just said. What was the next step? The next step was that By the party, Haman came, and as it was, the king was very jealous of Haman now, and all of a sudden he was pushed onto the bed. A Malach came, pushed him onto the bed that Esther was on, and in comes Achashveresh at that moment, and everything that Achashveresh was thought, was convinced was true in his mind, was unfolding right in front of him. Look, they're, they're together. Hagam lichbesh is a And then at that moment in time, Charvayna, who was one of the Sarisei HaMelech who happened to, the Gemara says, was sort of kidnapped. Charvaina was like, they put chloroform on his, on his mouth, they schlepped him into a room, and Eliyahu Navi took over his body. Charvaina comes and says to the Melech that this is the guy, this is the guy that made a, an eight Gavaya, chamishim Amar, to hang Mordechai, Asher Dibr Taiba Amelech, Vajayim Amelch Talu'alov. The king said, Hang him, and he was hanged immediately. And then the rest of the story played out how he was able to stop the Gezerah, how the Jews were able to fight back and defend themselves, how they were Kaivea, Megillah, Purim, Yantif, Mishleiach Monai, Smathanislav Masuda. Mesuda. Today, until now, till this very day, we celebrate perm with such joy. But all of the entire aspects, facets of this diamond called the Megillah, only sparkle and shine when seen in the totality of the story. If you're missing part of it, you don't have anything, because you need all pieces connecting walking into place until it's fully clear and understood how HaKadosh Baruch was orchestrating divinely every single moment over the course of this very long story. You know, we read it in about 25 minutes. But this story took over a decade. It was a long story. It didn't happen with such clarity. If you were living in Chushan at the time, you just opened up the New York Times every day or whatever and you saw... An, uh, what seemed to be a, an independent story that has no connection with what happened the day before or the day after plot twists in the palace intrigue plot against the king assassination attempts everything looks very interesting you don't piece it together you would think this is just random events in our story we see Mordecai as being the tzaddik. if you would live at the time everybody was very upset at Mordecai, the Jews because they blamed him you didn't bow down to Haman. You're the one that ticked Haman off. That's why he wanted to kill all of us. What are you doing? What are you thinking? It's a lot different when you're living in those times than when you're able to have the luxury of seeing the entirety of the Megillah in front of you. And that's why there's this halacha, that You have to have the Gansa Megillah, the entire Megillah. Because without the entire Megillah, you lose the whole essence of the Nais, of the Ashkacha Pratis that was happening to Klal Yisrael at every single moment. This Yisai of knowing and hearing the entirety of the Megillah is very Negea to us practically. Practically in our own lives. You see, many people they look at history and they make Judgments about the Rabbeinah And they say, how could such an event happen? How could such a tragedy happen? How could such a melchama happen? How could such... I don't understand how this is happening. How it's happening in our lives, how it happened back World War II, World War I. Major events, minor events. I don't understand. What's God doing? What does He want from us? Why is He doing this? And we question God and we don't understand and we look for answers and very often we don't have any. We ask rabbis and they're not able to give us good answers and we say, it must be that there's no reason. It must be that Rahman Baruch Hu is asleep at the wheel. He allowed things to happen that should never have happened. And the Chavitz Chaim says that this is a fatal flaw that we make every time that we try to discuss history from such a perspective, from a human perspective. Because history needs to be seen from a vantage point that is unique to HaKadosh Barucho alone. HaKadosh Baruch has a sweeping view of history. And he knows from the beginning of time what happens. And every single thing has a cheshven. We don't understand those cheshvenes. But Akedat has an exact, precise cheshpen, but it can only be really seen if you understand the pattern of history. The Chavitz Chaim said a beautiful mashal about what this—how foolish a person is who questions what Akedat purpose for doing things in life is. He says, "Mashalim daima." He says there was a stranger, a visitor that came to town. Let's say a visitor comes to our yeshiva on Shabbos, and he comes and he sits in one of the seats, and he notices that the gadai is calling up for Kayin, somebody from this side of the Beis Madrush, and Lady, somebody from that side of the Beis Madrush, and Yisrael, Ravi Shlishi is from there, and Ravi is from there, and then no rhyme or reason, just random calling up of Aliyahs. And this person is incredulous, like, what are you doing? He's asking, singing to himself, it's so sloppy. This Gabai clearly has no sense of, of balance, of symmetry. Why is he calling up people from all corners of the base Madrash? And he goes over to the Gabay after Davening and he says, Gabai, what are you know, are you crazy? Like why why are you Calling up random people from all over the base manager. Take a line, take a segment this Shabbos to the base manager. The next Shabbos, next segment. What are you calling up people? Where do you get these names from? And the gabei says, "Rabbi, do you know anything about the base manager? Share. Do you know anything about our yeshiva? Do you realize that I gave this person shlishi because he's a chasson? I gave that person chamishi because he has a yard site this Shabbos." I gave that person shvi because he just made a bris. What do you think? Do you think I'm just randomly calling up people for, for no reason? I'm just picking them out of the hat? I have an exact reason for every aliyah that, hey, you don't know anything. You're a new ear. You don't know anyone's name. You don't know my name. You don't know what's going on here. So, of course, coming in from left field, you think that it's random, but it's far from random. Everything makes sense. You just have to know. And the Chavitz Chaim says, that's how we come onto this world. How old are we? 18 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, 80 years old. Do you think that's a lot of time? In the sweep of history, do you think that's a drop in the bucket? This world is 57, 77 years old. We're living in a tipa shabayam of history. We don't really know what happened before we were born. We're not going to know what happened after we're born, after we die. And we're judging God. We're saying, this shouldn't have happened. That shouldn't have happened. Who are you? Do you know anything about history? Do you know what the cause and effect was? Why this war happened? Why this tragedy happened? Why this pogrom took place? Why this personal tzara happened? Why this national tzara happened? You don't know some things we know Chor Rishon Chor Ba'esheini Chazal tell us what happened what the cause and effect was we know what Yitzchia Tzayim was for we know what a lot of things are we know why the Jews didn't come into the entire Eretz right away there are certain things we know but there are so many things that we don't know and I'm here me with my 40 some odd years I'm passing against God that this shouldn't have happened what right do I have to do that I don't know anything about the world do you think that I know what happened before I was born? Do you think I know what happened a hundred years ago? I could be the biggest historian in the world. I still don't know anything. You're judging by history books? Who? History books. How do the historians that wrote those history books know anything? The rabbinic knows. He's the only one that understands the entirety of the Megillah of the world. And here we are, paskening, this shouldn't have happened, that shouldn't have a bad mistake. Everything that happens is with Ashkaka Kapratius. And only HaKadosh Parchu is the Gabai over the world that knows why everything happened. And we don't. We have no right to cast aspersions on God for managing the world the way He does because He knows what He's doing. We have no idea. The Sefer Me'am Loyes brings from the, a story from the Ramban. It's an incredible story. It's brought in a respected Sefer that the Ramban had a Talmud. And this Talmud was on his deathbed he was about to die and the Ramban gave him a list of a few questions that he didn't know why HaKadosh Baruch was running the world the way he was and the Ramban says do me a favor after you die and you go to the Kisei HaKavit ask these questions to HaKadosh struggle, because I need to know the answers these are major theological questions about hashkacha, about what's going on in the world come back to me in a dream and tell me the answer And the Ramban's Talmud died, and he came back to the Ramban shortly thereafter in a dream, and he says, I came to you in a dream because you asked me to come back to you in a dream. But I want you to know, I had your list of questions, but when I came up to the Kisei Akavid, and I saw from his perspective the entire world history, the question just fell away. The questions are only questions because we're on this world and we don't know anything but from God's perspective who is able to see the entirety of life the entirety of world history the entirety of the Megillah of the world it's not a question it's obvious it's evident this is for the good everything that happens was for a purpose it might have been an einish that we had because of something that happened last year or a thousand years ago we don't know but Hu has an exact Kashman. On Yom Kippur, we read one of the highlights in the Musaf of Yom Kippur of the Chazars Hashatz is Eila Eskara talking about the Asara Aruge Malchus, those ten k'deshim that died, Al Kiddush Hashem. And after all of them died in the most horrific, terrifying manners, the Pisman puts it so beautifully. The angels, the sraphim from on high, cried out bitterly. Is this the Taira and this is the Scar? What's going on, God? How are you doing this? You're taking the most holy of our tanoim, the Yisaitis of Taira Shabalpeh, and they deserve this horrific death. One after another, Rabbi Akiva had his skin combed with iron combs. Do you know how torturous that is for the great Rabbi Akiva? And one was burned with cotton over his body, holding a sefer a slow, painful death. And one was skinned alive. How did this happen? is chara, The malachim asked this question to the Rabbi Nishraelim. What does HaKadosh Baruch answer? Ansa baskol mishamayim. A heavenly er- voice comes out of shamayim and says, im eshma Acher." if I hear one more sound out of you, I'm going to turn back the world to water. I'm going to bring it back all the way to to the beginning of time when the world was vacuous and empty. That's what I'm going to do if you don't be quiet. It's a gezerah And accept it. Don't ask. Don't question. So the Vilna Gaim, Zechet Tzadik asks on this Teot of Yom Kippur, what is God saying back to the Malachim? If he wants to say quiet, it's a Gezeri Milfanai, fine. But why does he have to say, if you say one more word, I'm going to reverse the world to Teyr Bavaya to Is that is that is that the, the appropriate punishment for the Malachim questioning God? Okay, maybe they shouldn't have questioned him. We have to bring back the world. You have to just bring the back, bring back the world to Teyr Avaya For what? And the Vilna Gain says an amazing mushal. He says, once upon a time there was a king, and the king wanted a beautiful robe to be made from him, and he was sparing no expenses. And he got a very professional tailor imported to his palace. And he told him exactly the specifications that he wanted. And he was measured. And he wanted the gown, the robe, to be gold on the outside and silver on the inside. And the buttons should be beautiful, platinum. And sapphires should be dotting the thing. And there should be fur all around the collar. And the tailor says, that's not a problem. I'll make you the most beautiful, royal robe known to history. I just need the materials. So the king says, fine, no problem. Write down whatever you need and we'll get it to you. So he said, I need a spool, a huge spool of gold material. I need this much material for silver. I need this amount of diamonds. I need this amount of fur. And all of that was sent immediately to the tailor's store and the tailor spends a lot of time and he uses up these supplies to make the king a beautiful robe. Vahihi Ayaymi was finished and there was going to be a very big ceremony and all of the king's cabinet were standing next to the throne and the king was able to wear finally this beggar that he was so excited about. And they put it on and it fit perfectly. And the king was so impressed and he was about to offer this tailor a permanent job not just to be the royal tailor but to be even bigger than that. And the chief of staff of the king saw that there was going to be some movement in the staff and he was nervous about his own job or about his power and so he whispered something to the king. And the king turns pale. And he looks at the tailor and says, you're a ganif. I'm a ganif. i made you this beautiful baguette. Don't tell me you made me the beautiful baguette. We shipped to you an entire spool with many feet of gold material, pure gold. Where's the leftovers? You're telling me that you used the entire gold that I gave you? Where are all the extra diamonds? That doesn't look like the same amount of diamonds. What are you, embezzling from the king's treasury? Where's the stuff? Where's the scraps? Where's the leftover? Are you trying to take that to get rich on my back? And the chief of staff is smirking to himself because that was what he put into the king's head to make the king crazy. And the tailor was nervous. But the tailor was firm and he says your royal highness I didn't have anything left over there was nothing left over every inch of thread I used every diamond is in the coat every piece of fur that you sent me is in the lapel everything that you gave me I used to the T. there's nothing remaining And the king says, Well, I don't believe you. So he says, No problem. May I have your coat? He took off his coat. He pulls out the tailor from his pocket, his scissors. And he starts making a motion as if he's about to cut open the coat. And the king says, What are you doing? He says, I'm going to rip open this coat, this robe and I'm going to pull it apart piece by piece, all the layers of gold and silver and diamonds and rubies, and I'm going to spread it all over the floor of the royal palace so that I could prove to you that I'm honest. And at that point, the king says, No, 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 don't open the code. Keep it. I trust you. When the Malachim asked the Rabbein Yishraelim, what they were basically doing was they're questioning God's truth in the world. How can you do this? Where's your sense of fairness? Where's the propriety? Where's the honesty? How are you able to take the pillars of Taira, of Kedusha, of Taira? How are you able to put them on Mizbeach, Mesiris Nefesh? Why? 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 What's going on? Is there no fairness in Din? The Rabbi Shireim was answering him. Was answering the Srofim Milmala, those heavenly angels. You know what? The only way that I could prove to you that this is justified is if I bring the world back to Tayyip Rabayu. Let's start again from the beginning of time. Let's roll back the tape. Let's rewind till the beginning of the world and I'll show you step by step how this happened and that happened, this happened, that happened. There are many ideas that were accruing. I tried my best to hold back from punishing them and then finally I couldn't hold back anymore. It was too great. And Nebuchadnezzar, they were the ones that had to suffer on behalf of Kuala Yisrael. But you don't understand You just see today ten great rabbis dying. So you think, what's going on? If I would take you back, if I would take out my scissors and open up the wall and tear it apart and show you piece by piece how every single part of world history led to this terrible episode, then you would understand it. But just you being in your little Dalanamas here and judging me now, you're not able to see the sweep of history. You can't understand the whole Megillah because you're only seeing a part of it, a very small part of it. This is also true not just when we're judging history, not just when we're judging God and his orchestration of events that we see in our own lifetime, maybe a little before our lifetime. But it's true when we're judging other people. We also have to be able to see the entirety of Megillah. Every person's life is a Megillah. A person's life is a book, It's a biography. And in order to really understand the biography, you have to be able to read the biography from the beginning. You have to see where a person comes from. You have to see what a person went through in their life. You have to know the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, the tithes, the nephilis, the etzaharis, all that goes in to making a human being before you can start judging them we judge people every day of our life we see a person we immediately size them up we pass it immediately how they look what color their shirt is what color their yarmulke is how they behave how they don't behave and right away we say I know exactly what that guy is I know exactly how I have to treat him either I have to love him or I got to distance myself from him I can't be much with him I have to be on him we know everything we pass in immediately what a person is without knowing a thing about that person from day one. We have a roommate. It's the beginning of this man. We get a new roommate, new guy from Eretz Yisrael, comes into the yeshiva. We look at him, what yeshiva he came from, how does he dress, how does he look, Where? which city does he come from, and right away we pass in we got him, I know exactly what makes him tick and I have to respond to him, I have to treat him in a certain way. Do you know how unfair that is? Do you know the disservice that we do to other people when we judge them right away? You don't know anything about the person. You don't know about their family. You don't know about their upbringing. You don't know anything. And you're judging him I learned this lesson personally the hard way. There was a Talmud in Yeshiva, and he came from the right city, he came from the right Yeshivas, he dressed the right way, and I had tightness on him, because I expected a lot from him knowing, or thinking knowing, about him. And so he didn't come to my schmooze, and he didn't come to my vaj, and I had tainus on him. And instead of being him, I sort of, you know, spoke to him, or I didn't speak to him, and I I sort of had a, a very bad relationship with him. And then, and this is how it went, and then by graduation, this is part of the problem with Lander College for Men, is that I only get to meet parents, generally speaking, by graduation. Or by a simcha. If you're in elementary school, high school, you have PTA meetings. So you get to, a Rebbe gets to meet with parents occasionally, and you get to see a lot by meeting parents. You get to see what they're all about, what the family situation looks like sometimes. And But here I saw at the graduation that the boy, the mother wasn't there, the father was there. And I said to one of the rabbis next to me, "Where's the mother?" He says, oh, you don't know?" I said, "No." It's terrible. The mother ran away, and uh, whatever she she got married to somebody else, and and, uh, and the boy grew up without a mother. The father had to raise him. The father has problems with parnasa, and and that's why he you know he's always he's hardly ever in yeshiva because he was busy helping out his family. And I was like, I never knew this. I passed him that he was perfect. I thought that he had everything going for him. I thought that he was just one of those people that should be coming to everything. I never stopped to think, maybe you don't know everything about everything. I did it again recently. I went to a certain Cheshiva, Rosh shiva. I saw him in a certain place. And I went over and I introduced myself and I gave him Shalom. It's a very uh, yeshivish yeshiva, from very yeshivish yeshiva. And he gave me like a one of those cold fish handshakes or dead fish handshakes, you know, the one that you, like he gives you like the hand and you, you know, it like could fall off. Like that's how like limp, very limp, very like not, not kishmak. And I said to myself, boy, you know, I guess I'm just not yeshivish enough for him. I guess land or college for men, you know, I'm probably, you know, that's the equivalent of being put in cheirim. You know, he gave me, he gave me like a dead fish. I'm sure if somebody from, a, you know, from a, from Lakewood would come, you'd give him a geschmack handshake. But I'm from Lander, and I'm already passing This Rosh Hashiba is like a fanatic. He's a Kanari. He hates me. He's this. He's that. And you know, I was speaking to one of his talmidim at a Shabbos suda not so long ago. and I don't know if I made mention of it or it just came up. And he says, no, no, no. Don't, you don't know. He has a. He has some muscle issues with his hands. He's not able to use his hands fully. He's not able to close a a grasp of his hands. It's a physical thing. And I'm saying to myself, how dare I go and pass him about somebody else? I know nothing about the person. And in my mind, I have to make up an entire story to fit a certain narrative that I felt, maybe I felt myself achesaren, and therefore I was projecting his handshake on me. But for that, I have to tar and feather him in my mind. How dare I? Do I know anything about him? Do I know anything about Zasefer Toldo Tzadom? Do I know was I there from Vayihi BeMay to Darish Tribal Do I know the whole Megillah about him? I know nothing about him shook his hand, made an impression, bad one, and automatically, I assumed the worst. What a chutzpah. It's like the person coming into the shul and, and, and questioning the by the chutzpah that that is. That's what we do every day when we look at other people, we pass, and we know nothing about these people. There was a Misa that happened with a person who went to a chasna a rab was at a chasna and he goes over to wish Mazel to the father of the kala and the father of the kala was radiant and he was smiling and he was happy he was hugging everybody, kissing everybody and into the chasna as this rab was saying Mazel was another chashevet hamad chacham and then the father of the kala looks at him and he says to him nobody called you nobody called you and the person turns around and walks out of the hall. And this other Rob who was standing there was saying, "My gosh, this is Mamish Kamsa Barkanso." The person comes into a Chasva a Chasva rub no less, and the person says, "Nobody called you, kill, like, you're not invited. What are you doing here? I don't want you eating my food?" How does such a person get away with that? He didn't know. Should I say something to him? Should I not say something to him? I have to make a maqha for there. like what's going on over here? And finally he couldn't hold himself back and he goes over and says, I'm sorry. I don't know why you would say that to that rav. He said, Say what? He said, Why would you say that? Nobody called you. So he starts laughing, the father of the call. He says, Today I was in the mikvah tiveling." Kalem for my daughter for the chasna for she's going to need glasses and dishware and whatever I was tibling it in the, in the Kalem mikvah in town and as I was titling it my cell phone fell out of my pocket and fell into the mikvah and it got fried it's not usable and I needed my cell phone that day of all days it was such a busy day hectic day people calling people to call and this rub was in the Kalem mikvah just then when I was in there and he saw, he saw what happened. He says, Here, you could borrow my phone for the day. I know how much you need it today. He says, No, I can't take your phone. You're probably going to get a hundred calls. You're a Rav. You're passing in Shilas for people. He says, Fine, just you just take messages. Anyone calls, you take messages. And this Rav came to get his phone from the Chasna. He says, I'll come and pick it up by the Chasna. He says, so When he came to pick it up, I gave it to him and I said, Nobody called you. Nobody called you. You didn't have any messages. But this person immediately assumed the worst. So, Kamsa, Kamsa. Nobody called you. Now, it seems to the naked eye that the guy was right. I mean, you see somebody telling you, nobody called you, and the guy walking out. It looks very bad. It does look very, very bad. You'd have to really be very crumb. You'd have to have a twisted mind to assume the best. But that's what you have to do in life. The Chidush HaRim used to say that everything that HaKadosh created in the world is for a purpose. Everything. He says, but what's a Krim a cup for? Why when a person has a warped mind? What good is that? A lot of people have warped minds. They ask Klutzkashez and sheer They never get it. Everything they say is not to the point. It's always like missing the point, going over their head. Everything. Why would not Baruch Hu give somebody this, a Krima cup, a twisted, bad, warped mind? You know what the answer says the Chidush Arim is because you need that warped mind. You need to have a Krima cup sometimes to be down the Klutzkashez. You have to warp your mind. You have to twist and contort and do tumble salts with your brain in order to see something and not be done half But you have to. You have to be done the always because you don't know the whole story. I wasn't in the mikvah that day with them. Had I been in the mikvah, it would have been clear, but I wasn't there. So how do I have the right now without knowing the whole megillah? It's kuvah. If you don't hear the whole megillah, then you have no right to assume and to paskin in the courtrooms of your mind against somebody else because you have to see the entirety of the Megillah and we can't see the entirety of the Megillah ever, ever there's a sefer called Binah Samidah it's one of the best sarm I think put out in the last 10 years I bought it I think in Eretz Yisrael and I've bought a few other copies and given it out to people that, I, that I'm close with as, as gifts. People in Chinuch, people in Rabbonus. Because it's such an amazing sefer packed with hashkafas and truths about life, about Chinuch, about marriage, about raising children. And Mamash has from Gedaliah Yisrael all of the necessary things that you need to know to get through life. And in that sefer, in the Hathoma, there's a story about Rav Shach. Rav Shach was Rosh Yeshiva of Panevish. He lived Tahrichas Yomim in He had he lived probably over hundred years old. He was when he was nifter, and when he was very very old, he was hunched over. I saw him in the last phases of his life. He was an old man, sick. He couldn't. He could barely see, and he was like just drawn. And at that point in his life, he was visited by a delegation of Rosh Yeshiva, and this delegation from a certain yeshiva, came to visit Rav Shach and to ask him for his reshus. What did they need permission to do? Well, very simple. There was a Bacher in the yeshiva, in that yeshiva, non-Rav Shach's yeshiva, in a yeshiva. And he was caught on Shabbos, in the dormitory, smoking a cigarette. That's a shocking thing in any yeshiva. But in a real starker charedi, yeshiva, b'nei a a is smoking a cigarette on Shabbos, that's mamish punishable by death. Literally. And they wanted to throw the boy out of yeshiva. Such a boy has no place in yeshiva. And I think if any one of us was a rush yeshiva in that yeshiva, we would probably do the same thing. A you know, if a guy does really something much less... It would probably be expellable. But to be with Shavuk hesia in the dormitory of Yeshiva on Shabbos Ka'idash, no, <laughs> you can't. We have to throw them at It's for the good of the Yeshiva. And they say we're just coming through a Shiva because we want to get your Das to make sure that we're doing the right thing before we do the final push to get him out of yeshiva we want to make sure that we have the Rosh has come because it is a big deal who knows what's going to be with him after he's thrown out of yeshiva who knows he's going to stay from who knows what his children are going to look like his grandchildren are going to look like and they were expecting I guess Rav Shach just to rubber stamp it and say of course what's shaila? but Rav Shach didn't do that Rav Shach asked these Rosh tell me you're not giving me the full story over here. Tell me about the shalom bayis in this Bacher's house. Tell me about how the parents get along. How's the parnasa in that family? Is the father making a nice income? Do they have money? Do they live baravchos? Tell me about the siblings. Tell me a little bit more. I need more of the story. You're not telling me enough. You're just telling me about what happened. One snapshot of this boy that he was smoking in the dorm. That's all I know about him. Tell me more. I want to hear more about this Bakr. And the Rashivas look at each other, and they look at Rashav and say, We have no idea. I, we're not his, we're not the family's marriage counselors. We don't know how the parents are getting along. We're certainly not their financial advisors. We're not their. We're not managing their stock portfolio. We don't know how much money they have in the bank. It's not our gesheft. It's not our business. We just know that a talmud yeshiva smoking in the dormitory. What more do you need? Shach was an old man. He was hunched over. He had no kayach. and he gets up from his chair, bimolay kai masai, fully erect. And he points to those Rosh Hashivas, and he says, write him! You have dinim of a writer. You're chasing after this boy without knowing a thing about him. Find out more about him then come back to me. The Rosh Hashivas went home and they did a little research. And they found out that that week that the bacher was caught smoking in the dorm. The father lost his job. The parents were getting divorced because of that. And the bacher was desperate. And the bacher needed an escape. He needed to lash out. He needed to act out his anger against the Rabbin Shreem. And that's the way he did it. He didn't want to smoke. He was on up a lot deeper. But they didn't know that. All they knew was that this Bukha smoked a cigarette on Shabbos in the dormant. And that's a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing, of course. But Iker khasim and Asafer, Only Rav Shach with his Das with his purity was able to understand that when you're looking at a Megillah you have to look at the entirety of the Megillah. It's Lee Kuva. If you're not hearing the entire story of the Megillah, you're missing everything. It's not the well, one, I know a lot, I know enough. You don't know anything. But that takes a shkafa of das to understand that. It's not human. It's not normal. As a human, normal dean of a school you do what you have to do and you take decisions into your own hands and you have to make sure to make carbonous. And all of that's maybe true, but at the same time there has to be a human side to you. You have to understand that a human being is so complex. There's so much beneath the surface. We know about ourselves, don't we? Don't we know how complicated we are? are, are is anyone in the room so plain and simple and pure Raise your hand. Who doesn't have moments in their life that scarred them forever? Shalom bias between your parents, pernossa or lack thereof, friends that maybe tormented you, bullied you, siblings that weren't nice to you, people that maybe weren't honest in business with you, cheated you, professors gave you marks or said something in class that was already mean and insensitive, counselors in camp that favored others, other campers over you, is there anyone in the room that never experienced any of that? Then you're perfect. If you have that life without any history of medical issues, social issues, financial issues, you're as pure as the driven snow, then you're a very lucky person. But you know that you're not. You know that you have that issue, or those issues. So if you know that about yourself, why can't we know it about other people? If we see a person that's not so cool, he's not so socially organized, he doesn't say everything appropriately, sometimes a bit crass maybe rude maybe uncouth we right away say you're not for me sorry, you're not cool enough for me you don't look the way my friends need to look do you know that that person is a neshama that's crying out for help do you know that you could change that person's life if you just bothered to read the Megillah a little bit to understand what his history is, to understand his unique challenges, to understand a little bit about his background, his upbringing, his family, the home that he was raised in. There are so many challenges that each of us have, and we have to be able to know that just like we're a very long, complicated Gonza megillah, everybody is that way. And you have to sometimes twist and contort your mind to be down the close But that's what we're required to do as human beings. Not sadikim, Just human Pashta Yiddin that have this obligation when it comes to mikra megillah kula to hear the entire megillah. We have to hear the entire megillah of the people around us because we can't be yaitse our obligation with just hearing a portion of it. Because hearing a portion of the Megillah is hearing nothing. And maybe it's even less than nothing. It's deceptive when you hear just part of the story. Because you don't know anything. It's better if you would stay in your room and never meet a person than just meet a person partially. Because when you meet a person partially and you pass in immediately what that person is, you're doing that person and yourself the greatest disservice in life. This is what we have to try to take away on Purim. You know, on Purim it's such a, an amazing day. It's a day that you could break down walls... It's a day that you can... All the mechitzas that exist between people can be broken. That's what, that's what the whole point of the Purim is. Think about it. Meshwai achmanis yishlerei, sending presents to people, not only to your friends, not only to the people that you like. What about the people you don't like? You know what that would do with a relationship that's, that needs work? And you give that person that you just never hit it off with, you send him Meshachachmanis? Instead of your best friend, he doesn't need it. What about the person that's sad and lonely in yeshiva? How about sending him a shalach to pick him up? Make him feel like a mensch. Make him feel like somebody actually thought about him and planned the shalach for him. Would that be so terrible? That's what Purim is. And yes, there's a chiv on Purim, whichever way you want to be mekaymet, that's your business. But I'll tell you what I believe is the point of Adroyada, and I see it every Purim. Adroyada bin Arar Haman B'Baruch Marachai means take all of your preconceived notions of who's Arar and who's Baruch and scrap it. Start start new. I don't know who's Arar, I don't know who's Baruch. Everybody is equal in my eyes now. I'm going to hug and I'm going to kiss every single person. Whether I think that he's a good guy, whether I think he's a bad guy, whether I think he's socially cool or socially challenged, whether he's physically appropriate or physically inappropriate, I am going to take him into my life and I'm going to embrace him. And it all starts on Purim. Do you know how many tell me them I was crying on on Purim? Tell me them that the whole year they're running away from me because they feel bad, they don't want to come to my and they don't want to come to my And they're busy, they have labs, they have this, they have that, they go home early on Thursday night, they come back. I don't like that so much, I'll be honest with you, it hurts me. And it hurts me even more because they're missing out on such important truths. But I'm Purim, they come to my shack year after year. It's amazing that they have They work up the courage to come to my shack. They don't come to me the whole year. They don't say good Shabbos to me on the line on Friday night, Shabbos morning. They're afraid of me. I don't think I'm that scary a person, but maybe I am. But on Purim, they come to my shack. They apologize. They kiss me. They ask me to bench them. And I tell them, please let's start today a new relationship. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's your fault. It's irrelevant. Let's start today anew. And do you know how many Talmidim I was Kainah on Purim? I'm not saying they all come to everything since then, but it's a different relationship. Purim has that ability to begin fostering a new, healthy, loving, normal relationship. Because on Purim there's no difference between ar Haman and Baruch Mardachai. I look at everybody with open eyes and an open heart and call yad nice and light, people stick out their hands, you give them what they need. You give them tzedakah you give them a you give them mishloach Akmanas, you give them Atanas, you give them a hug, you give them what they need on Purim, and it doesn't stop there. there's Shushan Purim. And the year goes on till next purim it's a famous song the whole year should be Purimdik what does that mean it means that the whole year we have to have that open feeling towards others to see people in a light that's positive to embrace people with challenges to take them in not to push them away to make everybody feel special, to be done people, to have schus, because they are zakoim. Klal Yisrael, every yachid, the yachid is great in their own way, they just need to have the right soil, and the right sunlight, and the right rain. If they were given that, they'd be amazing. But many of them were deprived of that. It's not their fault that they were raised in a home that they didn't have Exposure to the right type of sunlight and to the right rain, and the soil was, was damaged, was terrible for them. It's their fault. There, but for the grace of God, go I. I would be the same way if I would be worse. Vacheshem, I was echet to have whatever I have because I was lucky to have a certain type of upbringing. Not perfect. But as perfect as I could possibly ask the Rabbi Shlom for. But there are people that don't have that. And those people have to be taken care of and planted, replanted, re-soiled with love, attention. That's what perm is all about. To me, that's perm. Period. It's not about costumes and drinking and perm is just about scrapping the old, just like we do on Yom Kippur. We finish with the old and we're starting fresh. Purim is a day we start fresh. We look at each other with new eyes. I don't look at you on Purim, it's a blur. I don't see you, you're wearing costumes. I don't even know who you are. You know why? Because I never knew who you were. As much as I think I know who you are, we're wearing costumes the whole year. Because guys wearing white shirts and black pants that sits us out, so I think I know you? I don't know you. Because a guy's wearing a t shirt that says a a rock band's name, I know you? I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. I wish I did, but I don't. So how dare I ask it about you if I don't know about you? On Perm, everybody wears costumes as if to say, you never knew me. You don't know who I am today? And you never knew who I was. But let's start over. Because maybe I never knew you either. My bracha is that everybody should maximize their porn. Find yourself in safe places. Do not do things that are crazy and stupid. Never, ever, if you're going to drink, and you don't have to, but if you're going to drink responsibly, Drink within the sheer of what you're you're able to handle. Don't over drink. Nobody is impressed when you get super drunk. That's not cool. That's stupid. Don't get into a car. If you even had a mashu of drink, do not get into a car, whether it's in the driver's seat or any seat, because you can act crazy and, and, and get the driver distracted. When you're going to your abeim's homes, act civilly, act normally. Don't try to do things that are not appropriate. But most importantly, open your heart, Purim. Make sure that your davening is a davening, that your learning is a learning. The rabbinadam hachavere is at its maximum. Show the on purim who you really are Apologize to him for poskening against him about his decisions that he makes in life nationally, internationally, and locally. Have that conversation with the Rebbe Get back onto good terms with him for any tightness that we may have. We don't know the whole Megillah. We don't know what's good for us and why HaKadosh Baruch Hu did certain things in our life. We don't know. And it's hard to come to terms with, but you have to believe that it was for our good. And most importantly, when we are dealing with other people, and we see other people, hug them, apologize to them if you need to. It's the one day that you can do anything that you want, and it's acceptable. You can't do that today. If you go over to somebody, apologize. It's going to be weird. Purim, there's nothing weird. Purim, all mechitzas are broken. It's just Nishamas running around. Today Chaparain, don't squander a minute of puram with shtusim, with avolim. Do the right thing. Maximize every second. Enjoy it to its fullest. And make sure to hear the entire Megillah.